What's up, guys? Welcome back to Crosstown Chatter. I'm Colin. I'm here alongside Connor. Um, and, well, we'll get right into it because there was a huge breaking news story that happened earlier on last night. And, uh, well, Connor wanted Cody to Cody Bellinger uh, is a cub. <laughs> Cody Bellinger is a cub, and I am fucking pumped. It is... 147 days in the making since the free agency period began. I could not be happier. I was at the local VFW down in Texas when the news broke. I had a tequila shot in my hand, about to rip it, and my buddy's dad holds up the phone from like Sports Center, breaking news, belly signs with the Cubs, three years, 80 million. Uh, we proceeded proceeded to go wild, and I live in Texas, so everyone was like, what the fuck are they doing? And I was like, Cody Bellinger just signed with the Cubs and the girls were like, were with, they're like, who the fuck's that? I'm like, none of your business. Um, don't That's worry about it. It's, it's a guy right. thing. You wouldn't understand. Um, you wouldn't understand, I guess. But I am pumped. I'm excited. I went uh, crazy last night to say the least. I was just scrolling on Twitter at the bar. I was like, what's what's being tweeted? Uh, shout out Lisa W. Dubs, who broke the news like two days ago. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, Colin. She like replied to obvious shirts tweets. And was like, I heard from a friend that Bellinger already signed, but they're waiting. And like everyone was like, so it's been like the buzz of town the last two days. Like, is it right? Is it right? And then it, uh, it dropped last night at like what one thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pumped. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's a long time coming. I could tell that you were uh, waiting a lot longer than I guess inside of 24 hours to tell tell me that news and everybody else. So. Um, no, it's a, it needed to be done. I think the team wasn't complete without him. Uh, it makes sense. And honestly, I like the contract. I like the opt-out option. This is going to give Boris's guys, like, you know, if this deal is on the table, what's saying that other teams aren't going to be able to kind of work with the remaining guys that he has? Like, I'll take <clears throat> Matt Chapman for – a three-year opt-out deal after one year. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good contract, honestly. And I think you're not overpaying for that. Not, not at all. I mean, I mean 26 at, and a his, half mil. Sure, at his caliber. AAV. I mean, I just hope that he could do what he did last year, and if not better. But, and yeah, me really too, because I, mean, I, think, I think best case scenario with this contract is Bellinger absolutely pops off. Um, he goes, gets his bag next year, and then this allows PCA to develop uh, another year, right? PCA is only 21 years old. I believe he turns 22 maybe next month, in a month or, I don't know, a couple months. Um, so he's young. He's got so much time. Um, it, get, it takes a lot of stress off PCA. He can develop in the upper minors where he doesn't have a ton of time. Um, so I think it's amazing. Uh, real quick, before we keep going on this, I, I have a question for you. Do you know what the largest White Sox free agency contract is in terms of uh, in terms of overall dollars? Wasn't it Ben Attendee? Yes, five years, seventy five mil. So this I cheap didn't, contract. I didn't remember the exact number on that contract, but I remember mm-hmm. seeing it and just think like, "Hang on a minute, why are we giving this guy that much money?" <laughs> And Cody Bellinger's cheap contract uh, beats out your high, the White Sox's highest paid free agent ever. So I just had to throw that out. A little jab to the White Sox fans listening out there. Had to throw that out there. 
Uh, but Cody Bellinger to the Cubs. This is – I was looking at lineups today, man, and I was like, okay, this is starting to look like a playoff team. This is starting to look like a playoff lineup, right? You got Michael Bush at first, and you got you got Bellinger probably going to be in, in center field. That's where his value is, is best. Uh, you got Morell at third. You're going to have whoever at DH, whoever the hell's DH in. Maybe it's uh, – PCA probably wouldn't. PCA is probably going to AAA. That's the reality of this, which is a good thing. We want him to develop. We don't want him to, like, fail in the majors and then just plummet, right? He's, he's young. He's got options. He's got time. So I think with – He's with, got time to work on his bat as well. Oh, you yeah. Know, the bat is defense, good. And he's he, – I think sending him down will uh, will only do good for him because he's uh, one of those players that you're want you're going to want to keep around. Yeah, and he's always done this thing in the minors where he's struggled. And then after about probably a month or so, he starts adjusting and then he just pops off. And that's PCA. Um, so I think it creates a ton of flexibility, right? You don't have to rush because everyone was like kind of sold now, right? Everyone's like, oh, PCA is going to be the opening day center fielder. That makes the most sense here. Bellinger's not signed. Uh, and then with, with Bellinger coming in, you're like, okay, we can get him in there. We can develop PCA another year, get him some high. And, and I, PCA will be up this year. Like, I don't like. He's not spending. He's not spending the whole year in the minors. It's not going to happen. His defense is too valuable. Period, uh, especially in center field. And when he does come up, you can move Michael Bush. If he, I'm hoping the bat plays out. We can move Michael Bush over to DH. Morell still at third, and then you can move Bellinger to first base, PCA in center field. And now that is a lineup to to mess with. Well, let me ask you this: Why wouldn't you just start with that? You know, and if you see him start to regret, regress, then you can talk to him and, you know, send him back down and and say, hey, this is where we want to go for now. Like, you'll be back, think, obviously. But we just wanted to get your feet wet a little bit more. And I think I, you should put him on the opening day roster. I mean, Bellinger is not going to play every day, you know. And then if you can work out that lineup just occasionally, I mean – you got to look at every every other position, you know. It's not that black and white, but um, I mean, what you just mentioned wouldn't be a bad idea to kind of start him now and then send him send him down later. I think I think that's mainly because Michael Bush is twenty five or twenty six, and I think he is your long term answer at first base, Michael Bush. Like if it's going to play out or DH, whatever it may be. I think they want to see him perform because PCA is so young. PCA is so young. He's 21 years old and he is not, does not have a lot of time in the upper minors. I think he got promoted to double a last year, sometime last year. I don't know if he started in double a or if he got promoted to double a, I think he got, I think he started the year in double a. So he has one full season under his belt in the upper minors uh, and Came up to, and he and he also lost a month too. He was in the majors for a month and he only got nineteen at bats. So that's a month loss of development as well. So I think they want to see what they have in Michael Bush. I think they want to obviously put Bellinger where he's most valuable, um, and go from there. Because PCA, you know, if he prospects are so fragile, where like and not like in terms of like like it's just such a tricky thing, right? Failure just breeds failure especially if it's compounded, right? So you don't want him to come up and all of a sudden he's all these. Yeah. So like you want to see him build upon this. You want to see him do well against AAA pitchers who, as you know, AAA pitchers, you know, they're right there on 
the cusp of the MLB usually. Um, so you really want to see him just perform and do well and then bring him up. And then and then that lineup, though, with PCA and Bellinger in it, that is – you would have a gold glove left fielder, Ian Happ, gold glove up the middle with Nico, Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson. You'd have a gold glover uh, in first base with Cody Bellinger, and then you would have a minor league gold glover with PCA – in center field that is a disgusting defense and it doesn't matter one bit if you don't make the playoffs there connor um so let's agree uh start at square one spring training first game cubs versus Sox. did you get to watch it i did and we pounded you guys unfortunately so that was the outcome um I got to watch uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit of it, um, and uh, obviously Chicago has those blackouts, so I get to watch bits here and there. But I'm pretty sure what I gathered out of that game was four total hits for the White Sox, with tr- twelve total strikeouts. And let me tell you, White Sox fans, I would probably get used to something like this every at least once a week at the bare minimum Um, because I mean, I guess they kind of said it without saying it that they were looking for more of a defensive role out of these guys than an offensive role. With that said, who doesn't want to see people get hits, get them on, get them over, get them in whatever way you have to do that. I don't see this team hitting a ton of home run, but there are some, some guys that, are stepping up, it looks like. You know, it's a little bit of a tryout, per se, on almost every position. And let me tell you, Corey Lee, I like the swing already. Not afraid to actually swing for the fences a little bit um, and actually make contact. But uh, some other people that uh, looked pretty good um, on the White Sox was probably Brian uh, Ramos or Ramos. I liked him. He looked, defensively. He looked really nice at third base. I know we were on, talking on about that a little Friday. bit. Friday, he made he almost got uh, he made one play. It was it was a he got the runner got called safe, but it was uh, it was like a like the classic like Nolan Arenado play goes or Manny Machado or like many good defensive third baseman. He like goes into the like foul territory like diving catch and makes the throw and the throw got there. It just it was just a I think it was like Morell or something or someone or Shaw Matt Shaw like beat him out. Uh, he looked really nice though. That defense, if they're, if they're valuing defense, I was like, that, because he got like, he probably had six, seven balls hit to him and he looked good on everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of tell when a corner infielder is going to have that natural instinct to him because they don't call it the hot corner for no reason, you know, and when you can make that look effortless, you know, that's always a plus. On the other side of the, of the diamond though, Tim Elko, they put him at first base for uh, a couple of appearances. And, he was uh, literally the guy I was going to bring up as like, that dude looks like a beast. Yeah, he, he, he hit, hit one, he one, one out and he hit one to the wall and it was I caught. was just about to he say that. He almost had two. Big time power. Absolutely. In that bat. Um, but I will say when it comes to defense, and not talking about Elko or Ramos specifically, but some other guys like – uh, I want to say Lenin Sosa like might have had an error. Um, they had four errors in uh, the second game. That's still a lot of errors. 
four. Still, yeah, and that's, what that's a lot. Kind of paying attention. That's an, to. In, that's, that's an inning and one third of outs you just gave them. That's huge. Couple throwing behind the runner plays where they would end up scoring, and I mean it was a close game. And of course, Edgar Caro got. I don't know if you saw that. He got a little walk off uh, oh, as he? a pinch hitter. Yeah, um, or I know he went into the game for one at bat, and uh, yeah, he ripped it down the line, and they ended up beating Seattle by one. But then we uh, go to today, uh, Sunday, is when we're recording. And uh, not a whole lot of anything going on. Uh, we gave up five, scored none on two hits. And those hits were by Colas and none other than Ramos. And that was Absolute it. Absolute dog. No errors that game, but, you know, like I said, in that Seattle game, it was a little questioning. But um, I'll go back to my White have you guys? Have bit. you guys won a – oh, no, you said you had a walk-off. I was going to say, have you guys won a spring training game yet? But you said uh, – Yeah. Gu- Cuero had a And it's walk-off. early. You know, these are all exaggerated. Oh, these games don't mean anything. In, in the grand scheme of things, these games really don't mean anything. I think it's just I, – I, I do think it's – Spring training is just fun. You get to see prospects. You get to see MLB guys. You get to see vets. You get to you just get to see a whole a reclamation pro- projects. It's fun. It's a good and time. But league, at the end of the day, it means nothing. And in this league, what's nice is that these guys take it very seriously. They take preseason oh, yeah. very seriously. And I think you have to. You know, you have to be at least trying to go to a hundred percent right before you ramp up the season because if your body's not used to it. That's where the injuries start coming in. And honestly, yeah. I hope all these guys that are getting big contracts are healthy and we get to see what they can do and make the game a yeah, little and, bit more and, fun. And here's the thing to to really pay attention to here too is that like a very bad or a very good spring also means nothing. I remember 2021, Jock Peterson, he had like an amazing spring. He had like nine home runs or ten home runs in spring training. He was just absolutely smashing the ball. And then you know he didn't have a bad year by any means, but he did not have that type of year. And then last year, Dansby Swanson literally had one hit his entire spring training, and then started the year like three for three or four for four. It's just that's just how it goes. So don't overreact if you if you see, you know, I I always do because that's just how I am. But like I also have to be like reel it back in like these don't mean anything this isn't actual baseball and or meaningful baseball i should say i just want to reiterate too like yeah i'm looking and calling out certain stats of the box scores of only three preseason games however you want to try and paint the picture of what the team is looking like as a whole you know because no one no one person is going to win a ball game usually and it's going to be a team effort no matter what but you want to see what these guys are capable of you know there's still people that hit home runs i mean these guys do it for a living i know soto had his first uh devers had his first uh morale so these guys are Mor- uh, mr morale first ab Breaking. off your boy chavez yeah, yeah Yados. Well, yabos we'll just breeze right through that but uh yeah so <laughs> i mean it's uh you want to see what these guys are doing but like you said it's they are meaningless games in terms of your scorecard right yeah you're just trying to see what you got for the season and that's that's i mean that's the exciting part especially 
you know, with the Cubs, like they, their lineup's set in a sense, but you also kind of want to, like, you got some rookies on the team. You got some guys who are poised to have a big year. So you kind of want to see how they look, how, like, you know, how they're, how it's feeling. Uh, with the White Sox, I think you guys are probably going to have a more fun spring training in terms of you guys have a lot of positions that are open. And it's going to, like, is Colson Montgomery going to start? Probably not. But is he going to start the year as the opening day shortstop? It, who's going to win the right field job? Who's going to win the second base job? Like, there's a lot of questions. Third base job. Like, you guys have a lot of holes in that lineup. And I think competition is great in that sense of, like, hey, no one's job's safe here. And it's going to give someone an opportunity to take it and roll with it. And I think that's that's part of the fun. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean – it's uh it's nice to see these guys pitch too, um, because if you don't have decent pitching and guys are just raking balls in the outfield, I mean you're not going to see too many guys display their glove at all, and that's what you want to see too. Um, you want to see people hit the ball, but I mean pitching is also uh, pretty fun to watch because there's a couple guys. And I know we talked a little bit about it before uh, we recorded, but um, dark horses mm. that I, I'm seeing already. And I'm picking out little details, like not exactly where the pitch goes, um, but also like their mechanics, like how they're handling adversity. And there's been a couple pitchers that's caught my eye. Um, Chase Plymel or Plimel, however you say that name. He's got a, a very... A very solid routine as far as confidence goes. He didn't seem too flustered about anything that happened. I know a couple errors uh, were on his watch, but at least he's not giving these guys meatballs. They're, he, they were tough ground balls, I guess, um, but he got himself in a jam and didn't didn't let up any runs. Hard-throwing uh, righty and had some good breaking balls. Uh, another person that caught my eye was... Uh, Jazamar uh, Cuisine, I believe it's pronounced. Um, he has one of the craziest curveballs I've ever seen. I'll have to show you a video later, but it's way more than a 12-6. Like, it starts at your eyeball, and a lot of them hit the dirt. And they're also, like, 20 miles an hour, like, slower than his fastball. It really? is ridiculous. But then... His fastball is it like an Ephus type, or is it just like just is it like a quick break, or is it like just like a think of a twelve like overall combined with an Ephus? That's what it looks like. Oh, it's wild. It is wild, and it was fooling a lot of guys. The only issue I with bet. that pitch is that people will catch on to that pitch really easy. Like if you throw it at the same speed, if he was able to vary his speeds on that pitch, I think it could be kind of deadly. But it was all at this 70 poo miles an hour. I don't know exactly. They didn't yeah, have but that vertical break though. That vertical break's got to be tough to get a good, you know, piece of the barrel on it. I feel like that's just ground ball or pop-up city at yeah, that point. It's it's, kind, it's almost like a fast 12 inch softball coming at you and you just got to time it perfectly. <laughs> um, and then he mixed in, uh, I think a fastball and I wasn't sure his third pitch, but it did similar <laughs> movement to his fastball. Um, but with that said, I, I think uh, I think he gave up a couple hits too, and maybe a walk. So a little all over the place. If you can tighten those screws, you could be you could be better. But like, I don't know how many chances you're going to get in spring training. And you, is he a prospect, or is he? 
Uh, yes. You know his background? Okay. So he's probably not say, on the 40, man. No, he was, uh, I think he was on the Barons uh, last year for a time being. But other than that, I think he's fairly new to the program. Gotcha. Um, so, so that's your dark horse for bullpen. Uh, give me another one. Give me, give me, give me, you got another. Yeah, give me another bullpen. I think bullpen's a good one to have a couple. Um, With the volatility in the bullpen. I like uh, what's his first name? Addison Coffee. Okay, he looked pretty good. I want to say that he might have appeared in a game last year because the last name sounds familiar, but I could be real wrong on that. He just has that like veteran attitude to him, mm-hmm. you know, like uh. He got on the mound and it just looked like he's he's been there before. Um, and, you know, if you watch a lot of baseball, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. It's just like a different demeanor. Uh, the pitches look a little different, a little sharper. Um, but like any prospect and guy coming up through the system, he had a little bit of misses here and there, but looked pretty good. On the op- I don't know what the opposite of a dark horse is. But one one guy I didn't like watching pitch was this guy named uh, Chase Soleski. Uh, don't know much about his background, but oh my gosh, I think I could step in the batter's box and actually have a chance to send one <laughs> out of the stadium. This guy's fastball was so up and down. He had a really um, over-the-top arm angle. Yeah. Oh, so it was so, coming in straight. It was not moving left to right yeah. at all. And mm. um, he hit a few spots, but if you miss with that pitch down the middle, that thing's getting sent. Yeah, if you have no cut or no ride to your fastball, it's... It just seems like everyone has some type of movement on their fastball now. I feel yeah. like you have to. I mean, that's why but, you know they, you, got, you got splitters, you got sinker, you got all these different... They're all fastballs. They just move differently. It's weird. Yeah. But uh, anyway, speaking of pitchers, one guy I wanted to ask you about because mm. I know he did get an appearance was Jordan Wicks. Yes. Um, I So he gave up a run. I don't know if that was inherited or not now that I think about it. Um, doesn't really matter either way, though. I liked, I liked what I saw. Um, you know, you talked about earlier, like, he looks like a guy who's a veteran. Like, Jordan Wicks is that same guy. Like, he looks like he just belongs out there on the mound. Um, I know they were discussing like guys like Ben Brown, like Javier Assad, Drew Smiley, Hayden Wisniewski. They were talking about them on the uh, you know for the that fifth starting uh, starting pitcher job. Wicks is a guy who's not going to be in the bullpen. You're you're not if he doesn't win the the job, right? Like if Javier Assad or Hayden Wisniewski, if they don't win the fifth starting job, they're probably they are going to go in the bullpen. That's the reality of it. Jordan Wicks, if he doesn't get the job, he's going to go down to AAA, work on some things, and probably get called up later in the year. Um, that's just how it is. I don't, I, I don't love that they pulled them uh, with two outs in a in a tough situation. I kind of would like, I would have liked to see him face that adversity, especially in a spring training game early. Um, I'm not sure if that was a pitch count thing or, or what that was. Um, so I wish I wish Council would have kept him in, just maybe, maybe for another batter or two, um, just to see what he's – just to give him that experience, right? It's a tough situation to be in where you got guys on first and third, two outs. Um, that would have been cool to see. 
but otherwise, I think it was a fine first spring training start, right? He pitched 1.2 innings. He had a strikeout, uh, no walks from what I'm looking at here. Uh, one earned run, only two hits. So not bad by any means, um, especially for your first start of the year. But this is a guy who is – like I think his floor is a number five starter. And I think if he can – if he can get another pitch, another off-speed pitch, like a curveball or even his fastball, um, up to like an above-average level, so he like, he, he's that, he has that changeup that's just disgusting. It's like a seventy or seventy-five grade. Um, he could possibly come in as like a four or five, and that value to the team on a league minimum contract is huge. Because we saw it in spurts last year in his starts, right? Like he would have like nine plus strikeouts and five plus innings, and that's. And other than like the last dud of the year that he threw, I can give him like six runs and like two and two thirds innings or something. Like he was pitching to a sub three five ERA. Like he gives me Kyle Hendricks vibes. If I'm being honest, that's kind of the vibe he gives me. I don't think he'll have that type of success. He he, he could obviously right. You never know. Like if you would have told me back in 2021, Justin Steele is going to be a Cy Young candidate, I'd be like, yeah, right. Um, so you just never know with these guys, but I, I do think he has a potential, his ceiling, his absolute ceiling would probably be a number three starter, but I, I, I liked what I saw. So we'll see if he actually makes the, makes the roster or not. I mean, that was a good example with the, the steel comment. However, I don't see Jordan Wicks as of right now. Uh, no, not, no, right now he's a, he's a number five. That's. But again, that's his floor. That's that's what he's expected to be, and his okay, ceiling is so, like best. His ceiling is best case outcome. But you're saying that so, down the road, in the down the road, yes, years. not not currently, not right now. He's a number three, but down the road after he gets some experience and development, and I think if he gets another plus pitch, I think he could be a number three. Yeah, I definitely think at one point in his career he will start you know? moving up those ranks. Um, as of right now, I don't see him beating out the other four guys. On the roster or on the for, for that fifth starter job? No, I'm or, saying it's like four. Oh yeah, that's the, three. I mean, Justin Steele. He's not being. He's not, he's not. He's not getting through Justin Steele. If no. Shota's the guy, I don't think he gets past him. Tyone's no. kind of a maybe. Um, that's the one I was actually going to mention. I was like, yeah. potentially, yeah. If he goes down that slippery slope, I mean, like he did last year, yeah, he might. But I, I like what to. I see. I like what I see with him. I like I like to be optimistic with prospects. It's fun. Like Christopher Morrell was like our twenty second ranked prospect back in twenty twenty two when he was right yeah twenty twenty two, and that was when our farm system wasn't even that great. He was our twenty second prospect ranked prospect, and now look at him. Everyone's like Christopher Morrell, Christopher Morrell. So you just never know with these guys. Like same with the White Sox system. You just don't know. Well, until you see about the White Sox system, I it's hard to be optimistic. <laughs> you know. I mentioned that before, but it's it's easier to be optimistic from your point of view at the moment. I mean, yeah, and I think, yeah, because I mean, we have a. I don't know if you saw. I I didn't know this, but the Cubs' offense last year was like top five. Would you believe if I told? Like, would you believe that? In they were what? top five yeah. or top six, like runs produced, not like overall. I don't know, like OPS, like actual mm-hmm. stat lines. But in terms of like their like the runs they created, they were top five or top six in the in league. The, in the league or national? In the league, league. the league, AL or uh, American. Yeah, and that's national. hard to believe. That one's hard to believe. No, it's it's a it's a stat. Look, you could look it up. But like, 
I, I didn't when I saw I saw it on Twitter yesterday and I looked it up and I was like, wow, that's actually true. But I will say this. I believe I don't know the exact number, but they had like the most games ever in a single year where they scored 10 plus runs. I was going to say so, they stomped on some teams like when they yeah, would win sometimes they would win big. Yeah, we had a lot of games where we're winning like 15 nothing, 14 3, 14 whatever. So there's so, a lot of games like that. So it's in spurts. But in terms of runs created, it a runs a run, no matter how you get it. So absolutely. I was yeah. actually and then I think I think we have a better lineup this year. I think we have the young guys coming up. I think we have Michael Bush now unproven, but whatever. We're gonna have a full season of of Morel. Hopefully Saya takes a step up and I'm excited, man. I'm pumped. I just I want I want the season to begin. I want to see what these Cubs can do. Do you know? And you can look this up if you don't know. But um, do you know the run differential they had last year? Uh, probably like plus fifty. It wasn't. It, it got to a point where it was really good, and then they got went on that like five and twelve run to end the year. Let's see. Let's see what we got here, folks. Twenty twenty three Cubs run. Differential. Actually, I know it was actually. Oh wow, it was plus ninety six. Now look at the White Sox. Uh, okay, hold on. I got look up twenty six more rows. Let me scroll all the way down to the bottom at twenty eight. <laughs> and hold on, there's so many freaking numbers. Hold on, which is there? okay? There it is. Atlanta was number one with two nineteen. <laughs> Oakland was last with negative three thirty nine. Three thirty nine. The White Sox at twenty eight was negative two hundred. Oh, I didn't know it was two hundred. Yeah, it was that's like, a I knew lot. it was over one hundred. I knew that, but oh, that's dang. a rough. I didn't know we hit the two hundred mark. Damn, that makes me sad, dude. The Cubs should have been a playoff team. Minus two hundred with a hundred and one losses. That's bad. If that is not the floor this year. I don't care what roster you throw out there. If that is not the floor this year, there is going to be some issues. So you're 80, you guys went 81 and 81 in 2022, right? I believe you guys only went negative 31. So you guys generated 171 or 100. I don't even know that. My math is 169 less runs than the year prior. Whether it's in probably from the pitching side, <laughs> probably both. Actually, your offense wasn't even it's that good be either. Both. I mean, you don't just give up 200 runs just because. I mean, not even 200 gotta, runs. Not, differential. Well, no, you, yeah, I know you can't. And <sighs> on top of that, not score that many runs you know against these teams like it just it did look like a lot of giving up on some games whether that's true or not it i mean those numbers kind of reflect that right yeah so i'm saying it's if that's not where you can go up from there i mean i'm not sure where you go in this rebuild like i just I just can't believe we're we're already talking about a rebuild with you guys. Like that's the, like that's just, and it's not. Like, I I just you would have never convinced me that you guys would have been that bad this soon. Like it's just it's. Well, that, I, I know you're probably on the like, same boat. That sounds like empathy. It uh, here's the thing from like 
like the Cubs were so bad for so long, like, and not even like championship wise, like by the Tribune, just straight up like knew even if they lost, people would show up. So they didn't give a shit. They just left the on-field product just good enough to get people in the stands, but not to actually win anything. Um, so, like, for you guys, like, you guys I, – I have empathy because I think you guys could have won with your group back in 2016 before you traded everyone. Like, I think you guys – if you guys would have just added to that group, you could have won. At least something. The divi- like not, Maybe not a World Series, but, like, like a division because you guys were always, like, hovering around 500. You guys just needed, like, another big bat and another big pitcher, I feel. Because you had Chris Sale manning the rotation, you had Adam Eaton, you had you had you had uh, a prime Jose Abreu, you had all these guys that can like that you guys traded and got a lot of a lot of prospect capital back for. And I think the crazier thing is, is other than Dylan Cease, uh, I don't think any of those guys panned out. Not one. Michael Kopech bust. As of right now, he's a huge bust. Yeah, I would say as of right now, Magata, there are a couple guys bust. that you can maybe put in that list. But I mean, until they're they what first round draft show. picks have you guys made that like you guys were so bad for so many years? Like, what first round draft picks have you guys made that actually like we're talking top five picks? These are guys that are supposed to like in their in their arbitration years, like their first six years, are supposed to, so, supposed to produce like twenty five to thirty WAR. Like, what guys do you have there that are like, damn, like he's a stud? You got Lewis Not, Roberts, but he came from internet. He came from, you know, the international bonus pool. Well, I'm, like first I'm not sure picks. on his war, and I could probably look this up. But I mean, the first one that comes to mind is probably Andrew Vaughn. I didn't, he's, but even he's not great. I mean, I, think, he, I still think he's got a ton of potential. I don't, I don't even think, think you have to say there's potential, and obviously there is, but like, Compared to some of the guys on the team who are veterans, like he was outplaying them. You know, there was yeah. reasons to keep him in the lineup. Yeah. I mean, I would say Jake, and, Jake Berger. Jake Berger is. Uh, you traded him. That's what I mean. I always, I, I talk about that every once in a while that they just like to give away their talent. And this, it's kind of like a domino effect, right? If you look back all the way to even like after 2008, you know, we won in 2005. Right. They I'm pretty sure won the division in 2008. And then when things start to go wrong in the years that follow greatness or a good team at the very least, they always start with the coach. And then is a domino effect after that where they feel the need that they have to get rid of the good players that they have, try to get bang for their buck and more guys potentially. And then. Yeah, there's no uh, building around the team. I, it's like I throwing guys did. out there and hoping yeah. that they they swim instead of sink. It almost feels like they don't have a plan. Like they're just like, hey, we're gonna get the best package we can get, and that's like when the Cubs traded everyone. They kept Ian Happ. They kept Nico Horner. They kept all these guys. They could have got really nice they packages definitely for it. Could you imagine this team now without Nico and without Ian Happ? Like that's two Gold Glove defenders who are staples in that lineup. Yeah. Like sometimes you got to be able to be like, hey, we're going to extend this guy and let's see this out. Right. Cause they both got extended last year in the beginning of the year, Ian Happ and Nico. So um, I, I think being able to look at that, I just think the White Sox also, you ready for this? You want to hear what I, I found out a little tidbit in uh, the athletic article I was reading about who? Uh, so Jerry's asking for $1 billion of Chicago taxpayers' money, which means the entire state, realistically. Uh, thanks, JP. Yeah. Um, anyways. 
Um, so he's asking, he says, if we don't receive this funding, we will have to leave to a different oh, so area. Now, and, he did, and, he, and he did the same shit us. back in the day. He did the same shit before he got uh, guaranteed rate. Um, so what I didn't know was for the first 10 years of that lease, if attendance was below 1.5 million, he didn't have to pay rent. I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've heard a conspiracy theory that was a little bit similar to that. And honestly, it might go hand in hand. Oh, it's in the uh, contract. It's in the contract. Like it says contract. in the contract, if attendance is below 1.5 million, you don't have to pay rent and so, for that year. Let me backtrack a little bit. Okay. When you said that, you know, when the Cubs were not great, mm-hmm. they just had the loyal fans and they would come to the ballpark anyways. Yeah. Like you said, they just had to scrap together a team that would do that. Well, yep. as a White Sox fan, and I'm not alone when I say this, they're very win-oriented fans. And mm-hmm. when they are winning, they will show up. I mean, if you ever oh, look yeah. at the Blackout you've, you've games, they're you've insane. They're oh, yeah. absolutely madness. Like, it's the – probably – and a lot of people don't know this. I feel like it's one of the craziest atmospheres in all of sports history, honestly, if you go to those Blackout games. Like, any hit, people are standing like it's the World Series. Like, people are standing the entire time. It's like the you – know, the, uh... It's like the uh, what was it the the record night? You ever see that breaking of the record night? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> they fucking stormed the field like that was electric. And it was awesome. I mean, but to get those type of games, you're gonna have to get in a position to where they're big games, and you have to win to do so. But back to the conspiracy. Okay. I heard that if they have a losing record, they also don't have to pay rent. That. that- which, that's if you insane. have a losing record, it would make sense that not a lot of fans come to these games. If you don't put together a solid lineup, you're not only going to lose games, but you're also not going to have people that come to the to this stadium. So you want to have a certain amount of people that come to the game at a certain amount of price. Because, yeah. I mean, certain seats around guaranteed rate are not inexpensive. Go to the nose not at all. I've gone there for like 15 bucks before before tax. Yeah, and you go to the nosebleeds, you sell them for 5 to $9 a seat, and you get people in the upper decks to still buy the concessions, still make money at the at the, these games. Yeah. And, you know, it would all make sense. And it was just a lease, you know. You're leasing that stadium from the city, and if you can work out a clause where, hey, we're just not making the revenue, then, all right, we don't have to pay you don't have to pay rent this year. So Do the better, other thing, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And the other thing is too, I don't remember the number. It's like two mil, 2.5 or 3 million, something like that for every person that attends. I think it's 2.5. So let's just, let's just go with it. it. might be wrong, but just for satire sakes. Um, so any person that comes to the game over 2.5 million people for that year, Jerry has to pay a fee, an extra fee for each person that comes in to the city. So he's trying to keep it in that sweet spot. He doesn't want a lot of people coming because he's going to lose on the margins. He needs just enough people to come in to where he doesn't have to give the city shit. And, we and that number is 1.4 million. That's the Listen, number. Jerry, we're sick of your billionaire 
bullshit asking us for a billion more dollars. And that, that stadium would be sweet, though. It, and I that. honestly, I hope <clears throat> it happens because it would be great for everyone. Um, but it's just you don't think so. You don't think that would hurt them with the Metro being right there? Like a, like a lot of the fans that go to the game are from the Burbs. They just hop on the Metro. The 35th. I mean, yeah, but you can also take the Metro and then hop on the red line and that'll put you right there. That's true. It's just Good a little point. bit more of a train ride. I don't think transportation will keep people away. If they can find out to tailgate, they'll still show up. Mm. Um, but it'll, I mean, some of the renderings look amazing. So I do hope it does it happen. Sweet. Um, and it's, I think it's in a better spot because where it is now, you're, I wouldn't say you're deferring all the people that actually live in the city or even where I am mm-hmm. um, in Lakeview, but it's definitely not as enticing to go to that area of the city where you can have it right in your backyard just on Roosevelt and Clark. Yeah. And like we said, the stadium looks sick. And our stadium right now is not that's it. <laughs> I I hate to say it. I almost the the Chicago market's big enough for both teams. That's facts. That's yeah, one hundred percent factual. Like the White Sox should we could add a third one. You probably could, you probably could. <laughs> I mean, you got what ten million people in the surrounding area or whatever the it Bears is. Bears don't go there. Have an expansion team in uh, Arlington. Yeah, why not? <laughs> It's just add, actually, let's just move all 30 teams to Chicago. What's Chicago the, I mean, why not? Why not, you know? Um, but I don't hate the idea of them moving to another market because I know it would suck for a lot of fans. And, like, probably I would assume, like, if the Cubs left Chicago, I'd just be a White Sox fan probably. Um, that's just how it goes, right? Loyalty to the city. Um but I feel like the same song, at least with Jerry, until Jerry sells the team, like I feel like the same song and dance happens like every decade. Of like we yeah. got to move to a dip, like they they almost moved to Tampa, was it or yeah, St. Petersburg back in the day, and like he just does the same song and dance, and it's like eventually it's like okay, go, like see ya, we don't want to deal with you anymore. You're done taking up billion dollars of taxpayer money every twenty thirty years, so. For I feel bad. Really, I feel yeah. I feel bad for you guys just because like the <laughs> you guys got like a taste of greatness for like two years, and one of them was a COVID year, and then and then it was like nope. Here we go down the down the hole, all for I nothing. Mean, I still relive that 05 White Sox team. You know that was just like oh yeah. You want to talk about fun to watch? Watch oh, reruns yeah. of that team. That team, which is everybody was on the same page. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the World Series and they sweep them in four games, just in and out of there. Yeah. And it was such a fun team to watch. Even after those guys were fun to watch, some of the greatest White Sox players ever were on that team. You know, I just saw a video of Paul Canerco reminiscing a little bit. Uh, plus, you had Hawk. Mark Harrelson, one of the greats. absolute greatest. But it's just, anyways, it just I'll get off my soapbox. No, it's always, dude. I still think about. I I still watch like Game Seven 
Like I'll see it on marquee. I'm like, I'm going to watch this four hour ball game. Let's go. Or five hour ball game. Like I got nothing to do. It's a Monday night. What do I got to do? I was like, oh my, it's like, it's fun. It's like, it brings you back to the good moments. Like a roll this Chapman giving up the two run home run to Rajay Davis. Like, like kicking the nuts. And you get to, and you relive that. And then you get like Ben Zobris hitting the go ahead, you know, RBI. And you're like, it's just, it's great to like relive those memories. It's fun. It's exciting. It's like the good old days, you know? Yeah. And that's what every team tries to strive for, you know, every year. And that's why yeah. it's, you know, just sometimes disappointing where you got to host a tryout for your team in spring training and then see what happens in the regular season. Whereas, you know, if you just look at the at the Cubs right now, they're just in a completely different spot, different time zone, like different like different everything. And other yeah. teams are like that and you just wish that your team would you know, maybe look at that as an example. I feel like they always like the White Sox always try to follow the Cubs and they always do it too late. Like the White Sox followed the rebuild the Cubs did five years later after it was complete. And they're like, oh, we're going to do this. And the Cubs, like two years ago, started focus on, focusing on de- defensive players. And that's why we have a sick defense now. And like a good defense will save you, like will win you ballgames. The Cubs 2016 team was awesome defensively. Part of the reason, like we had a great offense, great pitching, but like the defense really won us that World Series. Look at some of the plays that were made. Like it's just disgusting. And like now you hear, you hear the, the White Sox. Oh, we want defense, right? A couple of years later, so I feel like they always just try to follow. Like instead of like just setting a precedent and trying to be ahead of everyone, they try to just copy what people did a couple of years ago. And by the time they accomplish that, it's outdated. That's that's my opinion on it. If they accomplish it, a big if. Um, and. I wish that they would do things at the same time because mm. imagine if both teams were awesome. Be both fun. win their division and the impossible happens and we have a Chicago World Series. That would be awesome. That would be, be absolutely insane. electric. I think about it from time to time. Like It's still a possibility, but for both teams you get bra- to get there. Whichever team wins gets bragging rights forever. Exactly. Like, like the Cubs yeah. could lose to the White Sox. And the Cubs could go on to win like five World Series in a ten-year period, and it's like, well, we still beat you, you know. Like that's I mean, just how it goes. And it honestly, a- it doesn't even matter. Like, as far as, um, like if the White Sox and the Cubs got in the World Series for only one time, and it doesn't matter when it happens, and all those arguments of whether how many times you've been to the World Series or and or won, as far as the other teams been in the World Series and or won, if both teams get in the World Series and one beats the other, like you said, it's bragging rights forever. Forever can't and like even if there's a second one, and then like, well, we still won the first one. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, that's just how it goes. Um, um yeah, go was ahead. I, gonna, I was gonna go, I was gonna go somewhere with that, and I lost my train of thought. Um. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was like, uh, I don't know if you remember this, tw- like early 2016. Uh, I think it was like May, like May, June. And the Cubs and the White Sox had the two best records in baseball in 2016. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember that. And and everyone was like, talk of the town was like Cubs, White Sox, World Series. Like the, like the, like the Cubs were like 36 and four or whatever, like something ridiculous, like something just crazy. 
for the first two months of the game, and the White Sox like weren't that far behind them. And everyone was like Cubs white, and then the White Sox just fell off their wagon, and just I think they had another mediocre year. Yeah, and everybody that entire season was like, and even after the season was like, White Sox didn't hold up to their end of the. Well, that deal. was the off season. You guys traded everyone. That happened, and and then uh, was that Rick Hahn at the time, twenty sixteen, the Hahn territory. Why does that sound like? Too early for Rick Hahn. I feel like it's it too definitely early could have been Hahn. actually. Now that I think about it, I think I'm, I don't know. Some of my years blend together a little bit, but then they traded everyone. They were like, all right, see you guys. All our good players, bye. We're gonna tank for the next four years. And so that's how it goes, though. That's baseball. That's baseball, folks. Sometimes you you score like the Cubs. I mean, imagine if the Cubs didn't win in 2016, though. You know how bad that would have been for like that. Like I couldn't like what we'd be going on a hundred and sixteen years now, or a hundred and well, yeah, then the White Sox fans years. would just have the bragging rights for that. Oh, hundred percent. Like it's like, oh, well, we at least won one in this century. And it's like, fuck, like you know. So thank God we won twenty sixteen at least. I wish we could have. I don't even wish we could have won. Like I wish, obviously, we could have won one more. I wish we would have gotten to one more at least, like another pennant. I know we went to three straight NLCS. Lost, swept by the Mets in 2015, lost to the Dodgers in 2017. But that would have been cool to to win one more or go to one more. That would have been sweet. Yeah. Well, you got to do a lot of things, and it's a very long season until you get to the World Series, so you get to the big big trophy, you know. Yeah. Um, but as much as I harp on the White Sox, and I will continue to do so, uh, just like a lot of other people in Chicago, I am optimistic about this team, it's fun to uh, kind of see the the new guys perform and actually get their debuts and, and whatnot. Um, so that aspect of baseball is always enjoyable. But oh, yeah. I, I do think that if everybody comes together, they can have a decent year. They don't have to have a crazy good year, but they could at least move in the right direction. Um, and I think we'll be able to see that. I know these last – three games that we just played in spring training probably don't reflect that as much right now, but mm-hmm. I get, I, I think we'll get there. Yeah. I think, uh, hopeful, hopeful, but man, realist. You guys have enough, maybe not enough, but depending on what you guys like develop the next couple of years, like I, I think you guys could probably get to plus 500 by 2026. I think this year is going to be bad. Especially if you guys end up trading C's. Um which it's kind of looking it, like that. That's like what yeah. the vibe is. And I think you guys can get there by twenty twenty six. But to end this episode, I have something I'd even talk to you about this, Colin, but I really am curious about your thoughts. This has nothing really to do about the Cubs or White Sox in general, but it kind of involves all teams, um, and mostly super agent Scott Boris. So as you know, Scott Boris is the super agent. He's done like billions and billions and billions of dollars of contracts for his players. Um, he is known to be a strictler. He's known to get what he wants. Beginning of the year, it was said that Bellinger wanted 200 plus million over seven plus years. That was the goal for them. And then he settled with a three year, not settled. He got a three-year, $80 million deal. Money, years, not there. The AAV is really nice, though. And that's uh, so that, that's that's a good thing for him uh, with the two opt-outs. 
he has four clients still left with no deals, not clearly getting not, not the money he wants for those four guys. What do you think, in your opinion, this says either about the league or about Scott Boris as an agent now that he's striking out this much in one offseason? Um, I will say I think it's a little bit of both parties. Okay. It takes two to tango. I mean, it's it, they're working out deals. This is the business aspect of MLB, and he is a very passionate and I would say unique agent as far as getting deals done. He'll do pretty much whatever it takes and mm-hmm. wait for that price um, until he gets it or at least one that he's happy with. And obviously his player is happy with. So I think he knows his value, which is a good thing. I mean, these players do deserve the money and MLB has it. It's just whether or not, and you know, they can afford it. It's just whether or not they want to afford it. I think that's, I think you're kind of right. Like they deserve, like I, you kind of hope every free agent gets his bag. Um, But I also feel like, You can't like Scott Boris almost felt like he was unrealistic in what he was asking from all four of the guys of the main guys. I, I know JD Martinez is in there, but he'll probably get like a one, maybe a two year deal. Um, I feel like he was just super unrealistic. Like no one was, no one was gonna. I mean, obviously, no, no one was coming close to two hundred million. I think the Cubs. I actually think the Cubs offered like five or six years, is what I think happened for like maybe a hundred and fifty or one hundred sixty million. That's what I think happened. And then Boris said, how about a three-year deal with 80 with opt-outs after year one? Because the Cubs aren't going to give them six years with an opt-out after year one and two. That's just never going to happen. So I think that was like more of the case. And the cut Jed Hoyer with an absolute steal. Like, way to – like, first of all, ne- not one leak. Literally six days ago – literally six days ago, Boris and Ricketts were getting into a pissing match together over the through the media. Awesome. Like, so – and then Ricketts literally said six days ago, negotiations haven't happened. And then this drops at two in the morning uh, on, on a random Saturday or Sunday morning. I, I And every deal Jed's made, there hasn't, like, you know, usually they'll be like, oh, like Cubs in talk with X, them in, t- like, you know, free agent X, trade X. Like every deal Jed's done this year, and even with going back to last year with extensions and at the trade deadline, nothing's leaked. Like, I think moving in silence like he's doing is really good. I think it kept the other teams on their toes. But do you know how mad I would have been if if Bellinger would have signed this exact contract with another team? Any other team. Don't care who. Oh, yeah. This would be a way different podcast today. I'd be pissed. You'd hear a lot more cuss words. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about it. He is one guy going up against pretty much a corporation. Yeah. And – that whole corporation has to agree on the price tag before they sign the deal. So it's, it's the one guy fighting for his guy. Um, and it's hard to advocate for these guys sometimes because it's all what they could do. It's not what they have done for the most part. It's how this team can benefit from this deal. And so you got to look at it from both sides. Um, is it out there? Sure. But I also just think like this is the beginning of it, of these big kind of contracts because 
You know, they're just I mean, fighting Juan, for their Juan, own money. Juan, Juan Soto is going to break 500 mil next year. That's a given. Then, yeah, I mean, as he long has as he to, stays healthy and has another good year, he's breaking. He's probably going to break 500. I guess it does has have a little bit of what you actually accomplish. He's on your 24 team. years old. Yeah, that is. He is wild. younger than Adley Rushman. And I'm excited to see that short porch on that left side. Oh, that's going to be nice. It's going to be pretty wild. I don't know why the Yankees traded for him. I, I, I don't know if I like that move or not. I did. Speaking of the Yankees, though, I did hear that uh, they are out on Montgomery and Snell, or not Snell, Mon- Snell? Montgomery. I think Montgomery and someone. No, no, they offered Snell a contract. I don't know if it was if it was. Um, I don't know if it was denied or turned down or rejected. <laughs> And, um, you know, but, we're talking a lot about Boris's clients, but there's so many other ones out there, too, that haven't signed. But not big ones, like not big names, though. Like these big names left on the list are Boris clients. Like there's guys out there who could definitely help an MLB team right now. Uh, Joey Votto's not like, signed. He hasn't been good. I love Joey Votto, too. I think he's awesome. But he hasn't been Trevor good Bauer isn't years. signed. That's shocking. We talked about that last podcast, but that's a shock. I mean, cubbies, cubbies, you can cubbies. go down a rabbit hole if you want to, but there is one year deal. A lot of uh, speculation with that. <laughs> I hope he gets it. No, I hope he gets it. I hope Me, he too. To some Me team. too. Because at least then, if he goes to some team, he'll be in the in the talk of other teams. Like, oh, okay, this is accepted now. All right, let's go. Yeah. Let's go get him. But uh, to end this off, I'm just I'm just curious to see if this affects Scott Boris uh, in the future with his clients. And I, and I think it really depends on what Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery, and like, like how do you ever, how do you have a Cy Young, a reigning Cy Young, not sign a contract right now? Like I get, he's 31 years old with some injury history, but like, come on. Like, well, like <laughs> I said earlier in this podcast, that since that deal was unlocked, now I feel like he could probably implement something like that for other teams, for the other guys. I don't think Snell is the candidate for that. He's not, he's too old. He needs like a he needs as many years and as much money as he can possibly get. Because if he does like a, like one of those now now next year he's thirty two years old, and you know what I mean. And it's like, mate, what if he gets hurt? And then he's thirty three years old. And like you know, and then all of a sudden he's not getting any money. But with Chapman, Chapman's young enough. Uh, Montgomery's young enough. Like I, I would be shit if Montgomery gets a similar j- deal to uh, Bellinger. Sign me up. I. I, I'll take him, slot him in at the number three spot or the number two spot. I'm all for it. Let the young guys develop. Kyle Hendricks, free agent next year. Sorry, Kyle. See ya. We have rotation spots open. We have, what, two more years after that with Tyone and whoever else is, is left on those deals. I mean, I, I'll take him. Well, I'll take him on a one-year deal at 35 mil. Let's go. Let's get over that luxury tax, folks. Cubbies, print money, please. All right, enough it. over there, Use North Cider, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you guys a loan. We'll give you guys a loan at 100 interest per month. <laughs> Anyways, if you're still listening, uh, we appreciate you, and you got to hear all of. Actually, I shouldn't say all of, but a few of Connor's aspirations for his cubbies, and uh, <laughs> he's got a very creative mind over there. But we got a lot of baseball to look forward to this upcoming week. Um, We'll uh, have a little bit more specifics to talk about with these guys in spring training come next week. Um, 
one thing I am interested in seeing, and not just because he's playing the White Sox, but Shohei Otani is making his debut on Tuesday. Nice. I don't know who's pitching. God help them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to see that on Tuesday. I'm not sure what the Cubs schedule looks like, but that's the only one I'm looking at. Exciting stuff. Well, we'll get back to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Um, and, yeah, see you next week. Thank you.